Welcome back, all you weirdos, Krakoans, and all you beautiful broken creatures out there hidden beneath a thin shell of goodness. Uh, we are once again on our Weird Dose of X. I am Jason, and here with me is my West Coast pal, Ruben. Hey, hey, how's it going? Going pretty well. So today, we have no Judgment Day book this week. Originally, this was going to be the Omega issue day, but that got pushed back sometime in the past. I had to update my spreadsheet. The only books to left in my spreadsheet. So that'll be coming out next week. Uh, so this week, we're going to sh- kind of start with our new format. Going forward, will be one, what we're going to call the Big X book of the week, and we're going to pick whatever we think is the issue that really has the most meat on its bones, the most we really want to talk about. We'll spend a good time uh, talking about that. And then when we're done, we'll have some briefer discussion of any other X books that maybe catch our fancy that week. So if you want some input on what books we cover and what you think we want to spend a lot of time on or a little time on, uh, go ahead and find us on Twitter at WS Marvel, excuse me, WS Marvel Comics. Check out our website at weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com or if you want to yell at us in real time and have us respond, go ahead and join our Patreon and uh, find us on our Slack. So today, our big X book of the week is, really, there's no contest here. It's got to be X-Men Red by Al Ewing. So uh, what did you think of this book, Ruben? I loved it. This is uh, this is the kind of book that I uh, read comics for. And by that, I mean basically a book that sort of ties in enough of the random stuff that I read that makes me feel like it was all worth it. And I, I worry that some people will think this is too confusing, but um, I'm excited. I, I think it's fun to see the machinations of brands kind of being spelled out. And I've read most of these things that are referenced in here. And so it makes it all feel more important. Cool. Now, there's an old saying, of course, that every comic is someone's first comic. And if, if this was your first comic, I'm sorry, because <laughs> this was not a good... If this was your first comic, your, your mind is just... You have no idea what's going on. Yes. If this is your first X-Men comic, or even first Krakoa era X-Men comic. Not a great starting place because it really does tie up, tie together so much of what Al Ewing's done in probably half a dozen titles of what's happened in previous Krakoa titles. It's just... It's very satisfying if you've read those and you say, ooh, oh, it's all coming together now. Yes. But if you haven't, this is going to be tough. So our job here is to give those listeners who maybe missed some of those connections a little taste of why we think this is so cool. Because I haven't read so much in the Ewing verse as you have, Ruben, but I think I've read just enough to get, okay, this is this is pretty good stuff. Yeah. And this is going back even before his creations. This is about 28 years worth of X-Men stories kind of starting to come together, which is kind of absurd. I, I would say, you know, I've heard that saying, and um, I know Jim is very committed to that idea of like, if you can't understand the comic without having read, you know, a pile of comics before, it's not a good comic. I kind of disagree in the sense that this is issue eight of um, what I would say is a niche book. I, I would love to think that everybody is reading X-Men Red, but frankly, I don't actually expect that to be the case. Um, so, you know, this is probably the start of the end of X-Men Red, but, you know, if, if we get four to six good issues of this story, I think I'll be satisfied. Yeah, there was some rumor going around a while ago that I think they saw the cover of X-Men Red number 10, and it looked kind of like a finale kind of a cover, and people started spreading the rumor that, oh, no, it's all done, and then Al Ewing had to come forward and say, nope, it's not actually done. I, I, I know what's happening in X-Men 11, or X-Men Red number 11. We're, we're still going. Yeah, cool. Uh, so what's happening here, there's really two basic storylines going on in this particular issue. It, it references a thousand other things. There's two yeah. things going on here. We've got the actions of Cable and company. They're traveling around space, you know, doing things to, you know, figure out how they can get Abigail Brand. 
because Cable found out last time that she was up to no good. And the other strand is these actions taking place in the diplomatic, diplomatic sector on Krakoa, trying to prevent war between the Kree Skrull Empire and the Shi'ar. And then we've got Bran kind of watching over everything from the sword station. Yes. But we're going to start with the, the the cable end of things, I think. So we'll go through his story, and then we'll back up and we'll talk about the Krakoa story. Sound like a plan? So we start off in this bar in space. It's called Gosnell's Bar, and this is an Aliduin creation from his Guardians of the Galaxy run just a couple of years ago. So we've got some some weirdo characters right off of page one here. So how about how about you, you explain to me who these guys are? <laughs> you explain. Nice. Uh, so I don't know who the rabbit is, but basically there's a cyborg rabbit and uh, he's hanging out with the Prince of Power who- You're not a of- longtime Blackjack O'Hare fan? Yeah, no. <laughs> Going back to that. <laughs> he's, he's actually been around since the early 80s. He's basically a rocket raccoon- semi-villain, semi-hero. Got it. I mean, look at him. Of course, he's a rocket raccoon. Yeah, that makes sense. He's hanging out with uh, Prince of Power, who I guess looks like, um, who would you say, like Rambo, Hercules? Commandy. Commandy, yeah, something uh, like that. Whoever it is who's living with the dinosaurs in the Marvel section, I I forget who he is. But one of those, you know, uh, barbarian living with nature kind of guys. Yeah, so, th- so this guy basically is very strong, and he was hired in the Ewing run of Guardians of the Galaxy to try to kill Rocket Raccoon, who was um, trying to sabotage some device that was being presented as like a safeguard against Galactus, but was actually, I think, strip mining the planet or something like that. And so Rocket was going to stop this. Some rich space villain hired a team of mercs to stop rocket basically and that you know shenanigans happened essentially um and the olympians came back um but they were i guess evil at this point <laughs> and hercules was with them and they kind of free hercules and then hercules hears the backstory of um, prince of power and realizes he's not such a bad guy and you know everyone becomes friends and they stop the olympians Uh, that's very was this before or after prince of power got the power stone i think this was like roughly around that time okay i think he i think he had it at the time so he was pretty tough for a bit Mm -hmm. the only time i've run into him was there was a series of infinity titled annuals that came up in a bunch of books and i think it must have been the guardians of the galaxy one that featured him it all wrapped up with a whole black cat thing that was kind of cool that's the only thing I've seen from him. So, but anyways, also he, he a, got go kicked ahead. off the Guardians at the end. Not for any reason that anyone has explained, but he just kind of <laughs> just wasn't with them anymore. So, yeah, so he's back to just being a merc apparently here, and he's hanging out with, with Blackjack in here. And, and he's, Blackjack says something kind of cool. He says, the universe is a big place, bigger than it used to be even, which I take to be a reference to Dan Slott's Fantastic Four, where we just found out that suddenly because of uh, the Reckoning War, the known universe, the available space in the universe is now 10 times as big as it's ever been. So I think that's a little little sideways hint about that. Nice. Yeah, I didn't even pick up on that. That's cool. Um, looks like they're they're here meeting with Weaponless Zen, and Weaponless Zen was from Spirier's Legion of X. Um, she was presented to us as a um, Iraqi whose power is basically to paint the truth of an individual, which is viewed as not a combat useful mutation, and therefore they view her as weaponless. 
And so but we've never actually seen that power in action, which I, I think we might get to see going forward. Which yeah, will be she's paint, like she's painted a picture of Nightcrawler because he was they were hooking up for a bit and he was telling her, I want to see the truth of me. And so she painted a picture. We haven't actually seen the picture, but apparently it like impacted him. So she painted it and then she she bailed. She, I guess, has been wanting to get back into like conflict in general because um she grew up, you know, in the immense war era. And I guess she's like a warrior at this point. Um, she That's a very big cultural thing for all the uh, Iraqi is just, you know, they seem to not really feel like themselves unless there's some sort of combat going on. That's just been what they've lived with for you know, hundreds and thousands of years. Yeah. So she basically, at the end of that series, leaves Nightcrawler because she's like, there's too much peace here. And then she joins up with like a, an outfit on planet Araco that's like, hey, come here, become a mercenary. And if you want war, we'll find war for you. So then we have, walking into this bar, we see Cable plus Cora of the Burning Heart. Now, Cora and Zen are sisters. They're both daughters of the Fisher King, who we now know is on that special shadow table on yep. the uh, the ring, the Great Ring. And Cable wants to hire Zen to kind of help out in the actions against Abigail Brand. He says he has a way that her mutant ability, that power to paint the truth, can find a, quote, military application. Oh, I don't know what that's exactly about, but she's interested. And we also get a reminder that she has these detachable prosthetic blades. And I think she got from the Locust Vial at I some think point. that's right, yeah. Again, think- we get these more of these hints about this time when the Locust Vial and the prisons were this big thing in Iraqi history. And I'm still waiting to really get that part filled out. I mean, we know that Al Ewing will play the long game. We have learned that in this issue. Yes. Things he's planted from years ago that maybe he didn't even know what they would eventually be. He just likes to mention things and kind of use them later. So we might not find out about this period of time for a long, long time, but got me curious. And we're also reminded that Cora worked for Brand back in the sword book, uh, yes. where she was assassinating aliens to help kick off a snark war. No, well, to stop the snark war, actually, it's the reverse. But basically, you know, Brand's whole thing is she wants peace in the galaxy, and she doesn't care about whether individual actions Does she are- want peace in the galaxy? That's yes. not what it seems like in this issue. She wants I- power to the soul system. And I heard I have power in the soul system, but I don't know that peace no, is necessarily so that she can get, so that she can instill peace. That's the thing that I think is is missing is that she thinks like her whole agenda is basically if I'm not in charge of everything, it's just going to end up all getting wrecked because there'll just be all out global cataclysmic conflict. She's so- really like to the soul system what Beast is to Krakoa. Correct. Right. Yes. She thinks I want this entity to be higher prominence, higher power, higher safety. And that can only happen if I control everything. Correct. And that's exactly what Beast is doing for for Koa. And to get there, she's perfectly happy. That's what dates back to the Joss Whedon astonishing run. Is way they had a romantic thing going on. So that's some interesting connections. Yes, basically she's the half half alien, half human um, daughter of this creature from Axis. And they all those creatures all look like beasts, apparently. So she was raised on that planet, and because of that, she has a bit of a furry thing. <laughs> that's so I don't even want to explore those particular daddy issues. That's that's too much for me. So anyway, Cable and Cora recruit uh, Sister Zen. I don't know if it's big sister or little sister, but they're sisters. Yeah, and uh, they leave the rabbit and the knockoff He-Man guy behind, and they get onto a spaceship which is kind of run by, powered by. Wiz Kids powers. And 
Uh, also there we have Thunderbird, who is the recently resurrected John Proud star who died way back in uh, yep. giant size. Uh, and we also have Manifold, who, when I think back to Al Ewing's sword book, I think of two things. I think it was tied up in so many events that it really didn't have much of an identity. And I also think of one really cool issue where we learned about Manifold's powers. So anyone who missed that issue, go back. I don't know what, what number it was, but there's one issue all about Manifold. Now, he's kind of a teleporter, but really the, he says that he just kind of talks to space and asks, asks it to reshape itself, and it listens, yep. which is pretty neat. Yeah, I liked it as a way to distinguish his powers from Nightcrawler and others. This makes Manifold a little bit different and kind of cool, so I enjoy that. Uh, so they're off to figure out where... Abigail Brand took this piece of Cable's uh, virus, right? His, mm -hmm. what do they call this virus he has? Oh my gosh, I wish I could recall that. Uh, His organic virus. Techno-organic techno virus, virus yeah, of techno course. Everything's techno-organic yeah. in here. <laughs> so we saw in a battle, and I think it was X-Men Red, maybe number two, where there was this attack by these progenitors, not, no relation, unfortunate <laughs> name, another Al Ewing thing, not, yes. not related to the celestial progenitor exactly, some other kind of primordial civilization and they were attacking this group of artists and poets on Arako slash Mars and our gang here was trying to fight against them and Cable got killed and they stole a sample of his techno-organic virus and because this techno-organic virus is so unusual it should really only exist in two places in the whole universe Cable says one is you know right here on him and the other is wherever the hell Abigail Brand took it so Manifold's power can link those two places. He can just say, I don't know like the coordinates of that spot, but I can take a look at Cable's virus. I can talk to space, find out where the other piece is, and create this portal for the ship to fly through and take us there. And one thing I really liked about this scene is it addressed one of those like in the back of my brain questions. I'm always wondering, you know, Cable's died a few times. Why has he still got the virus? Because um, it seems like they could resurrect him without it, right? Now that they've got these bodies. And so, you know, essentially when he comes back, he says, hey, check it out. I have, you know, the ability to, I guess, make the arm merge into whatever he feels like making it and that he views the virus as actually useful. Yeah, it's like a, a part of himself. There's like a balance between his powers and the virus kind of keeping everything in check, I think is the, the way they usually explain it. So we end up, you know, flashing through space into this weird planetary system it's a system of the progenitors, and it's called the World Farm. So it's some high-tech place where they do high-tech stuff. They have to leave WizKid behind, but the rest of the crew you know, beams down on an away mission, and they find, again, some weird stuff. They find the techno-organic virus in one of those kind of vertical, clear tubes that every comic book has for putting human-sized like captives in. Yep. And also they turn around and they see these like sarcophaguses of these three aliens. I'm not sure if these aliens are progenitors. No, I don't think so. So these are tied into Vulcan's backstory. So basically, um, the quick story of Vulcan is that he is the younger brother of Scott and Alex. Um, and so the father, Corsair, and his wife, Catherine, they were captured by Shi'ar scouts and they threw Scott and Alex out of a plane with a parachute to get away from it. And then um, Corsair and Catherine were brought to Emperor Dakin of the Shi'ar. And I guess uh, Corsair tried to escape and then they caught him. And then to punish him, they killed Catherine. And I guess at the time she was pregnant with Gabriel Summers, who is Vulcan. And they took the fetus and they 
put it into some machine that saved its life and they turned him into a slave and they sent him back to earth and then he got free um and i guess killed his captors then he was recruited by xavier became an x-men was alleged you know this is all part of the Jedly Genesis story. He was then sent to try to rescue the original team that was captured on Krakoa when Krakoa was a villain. Um, the mission didn't go well. Krakoa basically, um, well, they rescued Scott um, and sent him back to Xavier. But the rest of the people who were on that mission, so Sway, Petra, Darwin, and Vulcan were defeated. Uh, Petra Sway were killed. Darwin and Vulcan merged together and were sent into space. And then Xavier mind wiped Scott. So he never knew that he had a, you know, this other person, his brother. Wow, the, the, the Summers family tree and, and backstory is a little complicated. So that makes Vulcan Abel's yes. uncle. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And okay. then, so, and then when um, Scarlet Witch had the M Day thing where she made all the mutants blink out except a few of them, that power resurrected Vulcan and Darwin, who were fused together. And then, um, Vulcan came back and kind of went on a you know rampage and tried to kill Xavier and others. And during that fight, Xavier then kind of opened his mind and he learned all this stuff about Dakin and um, you know his mother getting killed and things like that. And he got so furious that he basically flew into space to go take over the Shi'ar Empire and get revenge. Um, and that's a whole other story. But it all ends with Vulcan kind of at a time being in charge of the Shi'ar and he gets into a fight with the scroll who are being controlled by black bolt and black bolt of the inhumans has this t-bomb which this was war of kings, war of kings yep. now, right yeah so this t-bomb goes off and creates like a black hole that sucks vulcan and black bolt into it and i don't know exactly how black bolt gets out of this yeah, I, it's very unclear but he gets it's back. one of those things where everybody dies but then sometime later the characters start just showing up again and no one really wants to explain <laughs> yeah. why yeah, but so Vulcan, Black Bolt has never been explained. Okay, but we but, get an explanation for Vulcan here, kind of. Yeah, we've seen these aliens before. So basically, the gist is they they are in this they are from this other dimension, and they like essentially captured him and like ripped him apart and broke down his mind, and we're turning him into like a sleeper agent, presumably for some sort of like invasion of our dimension. And right. then they we, sent him. We back. Find out later that Abigail. Well, spoiler: Abigail Brand is behind everything. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw these aliens last in the Hickman X-Men. Yes. Uh, it was in the part where it was tying into Empire, of all things. Yes. Where we get a, a Vulcan walking around on the moon flashback. This is when he was still hallucinating all these dead people around him. Yes. Except they weren't really hallucinating because he was making them because there was a mistake that Al Ewing fixed, but that's 18 other podcasts. But we get a <laughs> flashback to where they see him as having this little bit of goodness kind of mixed in with this super powerful, angry, broken interior. Yes. So what they did, I guess with Orbis Stellaris, with the progenitors on the behest of Abigail Brand, they took like that kind of nice part of Vulcan, which is again, a very, very tiny percentage, and put that on the surface. They kind of made him into an M&M. Yes. And made this thin candy shell of niceness on the outside and kind of masking this immense power and anger and hunger inside so with the idea would... that he was going to be planted. So whenever Abigail Brand wanted to just, you know, blow stuff up inside Krakoa, he'd be there as like a sleeper agent. And at the founding of Krakoa, when everybody's getting their second chance and everyone's trying to reconnect, you know, they thought, make him nice. He'll 
join the Summers, right? And she was right about that. And, you know, basically putting a bot, I guess it's a Trojan horse, right? Get it into the Summers house and you've got a guy that you can kind of turn into a total raging a-hole. It's part of why I will, I keep getting confused. Maybe by the end of this discussion, I will stop being confused between Vulcan and Havoc because they're both Summers brothers. They both, at least in the Krakoan era, kind of, kind of screw ups, right? Yes. Kind of in the background, trying to, trying to get back to what they once were. But Vulcan himself, his backstory is he has huge, huge Omega level power. Where Havoc, you know, Havoc's good in a fight, but he's not going to be taking over cosmic empires like little brother Gabriel. Yeah. And I think Vulcan's thing is revenge and he feels justified in ruling everyone because of everything that happened to him. Right. So they see uh, our, our group here, Cable and Company, see this going on. Uh, they get, they play a little bit of an, like an audio file that kind of gives us that, that background of what these aliens did to Vulcan. And then before they can do anything else, this kaiju-sized creature who has like the head of Orbis Stellaris, who as far as we know in the past, Orbis Stellaris was just like a, a sphere, like that thing in the middle of Epcot Center is what I always yep. think of. But now that's uh, the head of some generic robot crashing through the ceiling, and there's going to be some sort of confrontation. And that's where we leave the cable side of this book. Okay. Now, meanwhile, back on Araka, we have this diplomatic little confrontation going on. We have the Kree and the Skrull are a unified empire now under Emperor Hulk, but they just found out something not so great because the Kree and the Skrull have been at war forever, right? Hundreds of years, thousands of years, who knows? They've always been at war up until Hulkling took over and said, you know, you're, you're, you're both together now. And in one part of that war, there was a, a, a war crime done. There was a time where the Shi'ar, not the Shi'ar, I'm getting confused now, the decree the, the were told that the Skrull had this awful genetic weapons research facility going on in a place called Shapeless Ridge. This is another thing that's been hinted at in Ewing books for years, Yep, where something happened at Shapeless Ridge, never learned anything about it. We knew it was some kind of a battle, some kind of an incident that people remember. So the Kree think, oh, we got to clean out this place. It's I'm sure you could make any kind of a contemporary reference to, you know, illegal weapons facilities happening in any, you know, Middle Eastern country of your choice. That turned out it was not actually a weapons research facility. It was basically a hospital for Skrull who were injured and couldn't shapeshift anymore. Shapeless Ridge, get it? But anyway, by the time they figured that out, uh, the Kree had killed everybody. Oops. <laughs> so this is an incident that kept the Skree, the Skree, the Skrulls and the Kree hating each other, you know, even more. It was like just more fuel to the fire of their, their battles. You know, anytime that that fight would kind of die down, something would happen to make them go back to war. So the new information is that we now know who told the Kree that's a weapons facility. We found out where the weapons of mass destruction memo came from, and it turned out it was the Shi'ar. Oops. <laughs> now, the Shi'ar, power politics in the galaxy makes sense. They're better off if these two big rivals are at each other's throat, leaving the Shi'ar to, you know, do whatever they want. Yep. But now... Someone has just told the Kree and the Skrull that it was the Shi'ar who did this. So that's the new thing. And and Ruben, who was it who told the Kree and the Skrull that it was the Shi'ar's fault all along? <laughs> of course, it's Brand. <laughs> Abigail Brand. She's behind everything. <laughs> so what me this this means is now there's suddenly a diplomatic crisis between the Kree Skrull Empire and the Shi'ar. So. 
they come together here in the diplomatic zone to kind of talk things out a little bit. So we have representing Earth. Storm is off somewhere. We have lots of very pointed lines saying, oh, Storm's not here. We don't know what she's up to. So we don't know if this is still in the aftermath of the whole Oranos thing, if she's off doing X-Men stuff, but she is very much not here. So standing in for the soul system, or Earth, is Frenzy. Uh, for the Shi'ar Empire, Gladiator is there with uh, Deathbird and Emperor Zandra on their way. They'll be here in a second. And then for the Kree and the Skrull, we have Hybok, the Power Skrull. And we have, uh, also just kind of hanging out, I guess for diplomatic reasons, we have Nova, Richard Ryder, kind of overlooking. So those are our players now. And we have uh, Zandra shows up, and Zandra's really new at this whole power politics empress thing, right? Yes. She's kind of, in a weird way, the offspring of Charles Xavier. So that's just a whole other 18 levels of backstory we don't need to get into. But the idea is she's really new at this, and she's trying to be nice. Oh, we know the Shi'ar have done all these awful, awful things in the past, and I guess this has been talked about in Marauders and a, a... an arc I really haven't read yet, but she wants to make up for that. But before she can actually say what she's going to do to make up for all these wrongs that the Shard did in the past, before she was in charge, what shows up to interrupt her? Vulcan without his uh, nice veneer. Yeah, someone has uh, the, the candy shell melting in someone's mouth, not in their hand. We see fully powered up Vulcan, you know, flames in his eyes, flames around his body, and he's back, baby. He says, hey, Shiar, you're not going to make peace with anybody here because, hey, I'm still alive. I'm, I'm your still emperor. your king. Yep. I'm in charge here. And you, Cree and Skrull, you better know your place or I'm just going to, you know, kill all of you. Yeah. And, another and thing that's to, where that story leaves off. Yeah. Yes. Another thing to point out about that is Vulcan actually it was responsible for the death of Lilandra, who is the, I guess, roughly the, the genetic mother of um, Sandra. Oh, okay. I did not know and that connection. Also, the so uh, former wife of Xavier, but I don't expect him to show up here. Oh, boy. Okay. So on that, what seems like the cliffhanger, we turn the page and we get a very, very dense data page. And I call this data page, it's been Abigail all along. If you watch WandaVision, you find out towards the end, spoiler, it was Agatha all along. No, no. It was Abigail all along. And I think this is probably what Cable and WizKid found yes. when they kind of eat That's what I imagine. It. This was the page that, that was on that computer screen. And this is like the Cliff Notes cheat sheet. Like if, if you were taking a test on Abigail Brand's plan and you were hiding one piece of paper in your desk to cheat off of, this is that cheat sheet. So we find out everything she was doing. And basically, she was behind maybe maybe a little too much, actually. I think it goes maybe a touch far. So here's what she did. She found and brought back Vulcan after the whole War of Kings things, had him reprogrammed as a sleeper agent, placed on Krakoa, and had that work done by Orbis, Thalaris, and these progenitors. Okay. She quit Alpha Flight, which she had been working for, so she could convince Krakoa to turn the new sword station they got from X of Tens into the Mutant Space Agency and put her in charge. All right. She then used that Mutant Circuit Ot sword, we call the ones we learned were called the Six, to retrieve that magic Mysterium medal to save the crumbling galactic economy. I don't think Ewing's economics here work all that well. Oh, we've got this new magic metal, save the economy. But okay, we'll take it for comic book reasons. She hired assassins, including Cora, to 
to kill these aliens, to also do, I don't know if she wanted peace, she wanted war, it was again, to make the uh, Earth seem seem bigger and more important. Well, the Snarks are now beholden to Earth. Here's where it gets a little silly. It says that she predicted that the mutants would terraform Mars as a place to put all their new Iraqi mutants. And she planned all along to persuade Krakoa to have Mars Araco be the new capital of the Sol system and have that be her base of operations. Now's when we hear she approached Orcus for an alliance, and it says something about she may have sacrificed a pawn to convince them she was sincere. Not quite sure what that's referring to. So, listeners, if you know what that's talking about, that sacrifice a pawn thing, let me know, because that's, that's where I'm lost. Could be Lady Deathstrike. And I want to jump in here to another another comment I'm going to say here. This is a lot of planning, right? I guess what it, what I would need to know is, is this a running log of everything she's done to date? In which case, it's cool in my mind, and that's how I viewed it. Or did she sit down and be like, okay, phase one, you know, do this, phase two, do that, phase 10, rule everything, right? Like, I'm okay. seeing this like a living document that okay, gets so you bigger see, You bigger. see it the way I see it then, which is good. Because if it, this is like, hey, I just sat down and brainstormed it, I don't view that as like right, Because remember, this is the document that she was always going to log into anytime she was resurrected to fill in whatever happened to the gap between her being backed up yeah. and her being resurrected. So this is like, okay, where was I? Kind of a kind of a document. Yep. And I well, one thing I like about her is I always think she's a cool manipulator, but fallible. And that's something I've enjoyed, right? She's not like omnipotent, as we've seen her get killed by um lots of people over the time. Right. Most most recently Oranos there on when he attacked Mars. Correct, yeah. So it's it's cool to me to see somebody that's kind of got machinations, but they're not omega powered, right? Yep, very true. I like that. So other things she did, she uh, sowed some dissent between the Iraqi on Mars and the non-Iraqi diplomats, which uh, we saw some of this early on in the Red Red Book. She pushed Legion of the X. challenge. This could have been and Le- okay, and Legion. Yeah, yep. this could be some of the reference to Ora Serrata and her attempt to um, create like a. I guess church state. Uh, she pushed Vulcan to challenge for a seat on the Great Ring. Remember, she kind of just goaded at him, saying, "Oh, you're you're so you're so tough. Why don't you you know join the government here? Why don't you you know beat up some of these Iraqi?" And of course, he died right away, very quickly. Uh, and I think the idea is that she knew that when he was resurrected, it would kind of bring his true self closer to the surface, easier to push over into being this this uh, explosive force that she wanted to use. Yeah. She expected the terraforming of Mars would incite someone to take a shot at the mutants for getting too big for the Britches, okay? She didn't quite exactly predict the Eternals and the whole Judgment Day thing, yeah. but she kind of knew there'd be some kind of a crisis, and she wanted to be ready to use that crisis. I mean, I think that's a fair guess. You might think it's Orcus, right? Yeah. It's, I thought I thought maybe maybe a little convenient. Uh, we know she leaked the whole shapeless ridge thing to the Kreeswell Alliance, and she offered Arako as a venue for the peace talks because she wanted to lure Empress Zandra there, because she wanted to set loose Vulcan at this site. Uh, she doesn't really know what's going to happen next, but she's pretty sure, well, somebody's going to die. <laughs> we've got <laughs> Vulcan going nuts. We've got the Kree. We've got the Skrull. Yep. We've got the Shi'ar. Yep. We've got, you know, Frenzy. Frenzy probably doesn't know anything about this, as far as we know. So whatever happens here, there's going to be some sort of giant diplomatic incident. Yep. And I guess Bran thinks she can take advantage of that. I don't know. It seems kind of like it would hurt Earth standing in the galaxy if, you know, an Earthling killed, you know, some these big diplomatic players 
on an Earth-controlled, solid system-controlled planet. But hey, maybe Abigail Brand is is 18 steps ahead of me. Oh, she definitely and is. And what man. she wants to happen <laughs> is to get total control of Mars to herself. Now that it's terraformed, she wants to have some bad blood happen between the Iraqi and the uh, Krakoan X-Men mutants. And she thinks that she can get the Krakoans to send the Iraqi back to a menth. And leave her <laughs> running the planet all by herself. <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know about that, but that's the dare to dream. Yes. So yeah, I think she's she has uh she has some some big big plans. So do you have any theories about what's going to happen going forward here? I don't think it's gonna play out very well. <laughs> what's interesting, I think, is that Brand has all these huge plans. She's been behind everything. She thinks she's got total control over everything. But we know there's something going on that is completely out of her control. She doesn't even know what's happening. And that's Cable and Company. Yeah. He knows things that she doesn't know he knows. And that's going to be what trips her up. Yeah, there's going to be a painting by Weaponless then that's going to reveal the truth of something, right? And I think that's going to be curious, like something of interest. That seems to be what we're hinting at, yeah. I am excited to see the resolution of Vulcan's alien abduction storyline because that's been out there for decades and it'll be cool to finally get that resolved that would be very cool next issue is called return of the king which presumably means a big vulcan focus and again i'm hoping that by the end of that issue i will really have my vulcan havoc confusion completely in the rearview mirror and i'll know all my summer's brothers don't even mention the fourth one to me i don't want to know <laughs> three is all to. i can handle don't even say it i don't know if he's even in in continuity anymore baby steps for me one 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 summer's brother at a time that's what i will say this um cyclops is one of my favorite characters unlike wolverine and partially because his storyline is so freaking ridiculous <laughs> it's so brother. comic book yeah it's, it's like the most comic book thing like he might just be kind of a generic goody goody but so much nutty stuff has happened to him it's sort of impressive that he he still has it together and the only thing he's got going on right now is his uh you know multi relationship thing going on but that's pretty good so he's keeping it together with all this nuttiness in his there life. is for free have you seen the free comic book day promos yet they just came out no, I, haven't, I haven't looked at those yet on the cover of one of them there is captain krakoa return <laughs> which is confusing because <laughs> captain krakoa was only just a disguise to hide the fact that cyclops got resurrected and now everybody knows about resurrection so there's nothing to hide anymore so maybe the summers are a bad name and he's like i gotta go back underground and pretend to be captain krakoa again yeah the rumors are <laughs> that it's going to be the kickoff to a new uncanny avengers unity team okay you know mutants and avengers together and maybe this will be uh just one of those identities that somebody else gets to use for a while yeah like who did uh who did hawkeye pretend to be ronin i think other people yeah. have been ronin everybody's been ronin yeah maybe captain Krakow will be the next you know whoever needs to be in hiding for whatever reason here put on this mask yep. you'll be fine yeah cool there's another theory going around and i want to know what you think about this and that theory says that orbis thalaris this you know space science technology ball. business guy who likes messing around with genetics especially enjoys messing around with his summer's brother and who had a data page back in the sword book saying oh by the way nobody knows but i'm originally from earth this theory says that orbis Stellaris is a mr sinister okay that's exactly where i was going after you said all those things totally viable i i don't remember that data page what where was it again i'm gonna want to go back there's and look. one oh i i what, there's one where he's kind of writing notes to himself and it's very chatty very kind of conversational 
and he's just kind of talking about what he's up to. It's one like look like a handwritten page. I, I'll look it up and it's in, like, I'll a post it to our story. Slack so all of our uh, all of our our loyal patrons will be able to see it. Hint, hint. Uh, but yeah, so he something about he's from Earth, and yeah, maybe it'll turn out that he's another one of these Mister Sinisters. Sinister at the heart stamp on his forehead. Yeah, because we have one Mister Sinister on Krakoa. We have one Mister Sinister with Orcus. We have potentially this Mister Sinister in space, and then it still leaves one floating around to be wherever they decide to put them next. I'm game. This world is all sinister. Well, that'll be coming up soon, too, that that event. But I think we've probably said all we need to say about this book here, unless there are any, any big points uh, we missed that you want to get back to? No, I, I just think it's exciting to see so many stories playing into this. And um, I'm always a fan of Machinations, and Brand is probably one of my favorites. Easy book to read. This took either a lot of background knowledge or a lot of Googling and looking things up, but it, it does it in a, a really satisfying way. And, and Al Ewing's quite good in that. So I look forward to seeing even more of that. And last last little plug I'll say is it's worth going back and reading those old stories if you have any interest in them. They're all pretty pretty well written. And um, I'm actually personally kind of going through the the Vulcan stuff right now as my back reading. So I've read Deadly Genesis, but I never read the Rise and Fall of Shi'ar and Working stuff that followed. And so I am now, and it's it's a blast. So uh, just to put a number on this, I'm going to call this like an 8.8 .8 out of 10. How about yep. you, bro? No, it's a, yeah, I was probably at a 9, and I'll just say 9 because I love this stuff. Um, but we're in the same ballpark. Okay, so that was the big book of the week. We're not going to talk about Deadpool, even though that's kind of mutant adjacent. Jim wants to take care of that over on the Marvel side of things, which is fine by me because I thought it was kind of garbage. <laughs> I was going to say, I was in the Slack like begging Jim not to make me review it because I just don't <laughs> like that kind of a comic. And then you were telling people that it was not good. I was like, oh God, please don't make me have to read this. Meanwhile, we have Wolverine. We're going to be pretty quick on Wolverine. This is Wolverine number 26. It's called The Beast Agenda, The Off Days, written, of course, by Ben Percy, with art by Juan Jose Reed. This is, I mean, if this is finally going to be a reckoning for what beasts become, you know, kind of getting, you know, too much power, hungry, too crazy about controlling things, it's kind of surprising that's going to be in Wolverine and not X-Force. Yeah. But we don't really get, Beast really only shows up here a little bit to set the stage and then on the big big last page reveal. So it starts off as a kind of generic Wolverine comic, right? We get these actually really cool looking splash pages that have nothing to do with the plot, but just like showcase all the many times Wolverine's kicked ass, right? <laughs> we have, I don't think they're referring to anything in particular, but we first we see Wolverine and old. some of the X-Men fighting robots. What yeah. was that, I would say these pages do look look awesome, but I agree with you. They they don't mean much. It's Wolverine. Nothing means much. The Wolverine and the X-Men, you know, fighting some generic robots. Then Wolverine and Spidey fighting some generic Venoms. And then finally, Wolverine, Dakin, Dakin, Laura and Gabby, you know, all the Wolverines fighting against Lady Deathstrike and the Reavers. Uh, and just the point here is to show us that in every moment of like extreme violence of Wolverine being the best there is at what he does. He notices some small moment of like normal yes, everyday life. All he wants is a normal life. A butterfly, a baker kneading dough, a plane flying over him. Okay, I mean we've we've seen this before, but these pages do look cool. And I think this is Juan Jose Reap's strong suit in this book as these just big old crowded, violent fight scenes. I think at the rest of the book, his the small moments, the emotional moments, I'm not really buying the facial expressions. It, it gets the job done, but if I'm going back to look at these pages, it's these giant splash pages that I go, okay, now I see, now I see where his, his heart is. It's, you know, he really wants to, 
to draw this big stuff. I'll say quickly, this is the kind of stuff that makes me hate Wolverine, where it's like, oh, you just want a normal life? Then just freaking stop doing this superhero bullshit and go in a backyard and barbecue. You could do that, dude. Well, he tries to do that because he visits, visits his old pal, Jeff Bannister, and they kind of hang out in the backyard and they watch Bannister's daughter, who's been you know treated by the magical Cohen meds, splash around a little pool. And they have a little time there. But Jeff Bannister has a new thing going on. He uh, ran into this lady in the park who is not at all suspicious. He's just a lady who wants to flirt with a CIA agent. And CIA agents getting flirted with by random ladies in parks, that happens all the time. So she leaves behind this antiques magazine where it turns out, hey, this kind of hidden, semi-easy-to-discern kind of code, which tells Jeff Bannister, oh, there's, there's something going on in this, this uh, museum, in the Smithsonian, and I'd better get my old buddy Wolverine to come join me and figure out what this is. And, uh, and Ruben, it's, it's not a trap, is it? No, it couldn't be. <laughs> it is indeed a trap. And they get caught. And because Jeff Bannister's there, kind of taken hostage, uh, and this is the merchant who's taken him hostage. This is the same guy who was running that auction, I don't know how many issues ago when Wolverine, back when Maverick showed up, and they were kind of fine, like an old hand and claw of his, and he wanted to track that down. So now the merchant has Bannister as a hostage, so Wolverine has to submit to him, and we go off to an auction where they're auctioning off pieces of Wolverine. Now, of course, every time they cut off or shoot off a piece of Wolverine, it seems like this totally unique, one-of-a-kind item, completely not, oh, what's the word, fungible. But then what happens? It just grows right back and they can sell it again. So yes, I think this whole scene is a commentary on NFTs, and I will not be dissuaded. I, I could see it. I could see it. That's what's it, going on. Yep, I get it. I just take it as Ben Percy loves body horror, and Ben Percy going to give you some body horror. It's yeah, he it's does. That's certainly what's funny. going on in the in the Ghost Rider book. So earlier we had a little bit of a scene where again we find out that uh, Beast gotten a little bit power hungry. He wants to send X Force against these Iraqi pirates who he's pretty sure are going to be trouble haven't actually done anything wrong yet, so it's kind of like a minority report situation. He knows they're going to do something wrong, so let's let's just kill him first, because, you know, why wait till they do something wrong? And that's really against Logan's, you know, sense of justice. So he says, Beast, you're, you're up to no good, and, you know, I don't like you. And at the end here, who is going to bid to be the yeah. one who kills Wolverine? It's Beast. Well, it appears to be the... The big, fluffy uh, beast himself, bitter number 63. Yeah, I have a sense that all this is going to end with some revelation that it's Dark Beast, not the actual Hank McCoy, and then they'll give us an opportunity to... I've been thinking that for so long now, it feels like if they wanted to do that, the opportunity has kind of passed. I mean, right, if it was going to be Dark Beast in the whole all of Krakoa, unless you think that Dark Beast has recently replaced regular beast yeah you could do it either way but i just don't see how this hank mccoy is recognizable even with some of the like i i don't know i just don't see him doing this kind of thing maybe he's there to rescue wolverine maybe he knew something was up yeah he's not really there to literally kill wolverine i'm pretty no, I, sure I, I get that for sure but this guy's on his team right so this happens and and then he's like oh it's just a it's just a plan I knew that you weren't in danger, like, and then he's going to keep expecting Wolverine to work for him. That doesn't seem very smart. And I, you know, he might be merciless, but he's not an idiot. At least I never thought he was an idiot. It's a pretty cool final page cliffhanger. But uh, yeah, I, I hope Ben Percy has a really good explanation for it. And I'm not entirely confident he does. 
So, yeah, just to wrap this one up, I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. It was fine. I'm kind of curious enough what's going to happen next, but it's not going to the top of my uh, read list next next uh, next week it comes out. I agree. That's, that's about fair. Yeah, I am more interested in this than the last Wolverine story that we read, and I will check out the next issue for sure. Okay, so now to wrap things up. Now, uh, recommended reading. So I know, Ruben, you've been reading deeply into Al Ewing's back catalog. Is there like one title, one run you recommend that listeners kind of check out? For Ewing, if you're interested in the current storyline, I would just go with The Current Sword. But I actually thought his recent Guardians of the Galaxies story was fun. And that has kind of actually turned me into a Guardians fan. I read that storyline. That was the first Guardians book I ever read. And then have gone back and now I'm working my way through Jerry Dugan's um, Guardian story as well. So it's it's kind of it's part of this transformation of me becoming suddenly a Marvel cosmic fan, which I, I couldn't stand that in the 90s as a young kid. And now this is a area that I just have kind of come to like because it's um, stuff happens and changes. Right. And it's an area where you can kill off characters and have new empires and the writers in here seem to like this space enough that they keep the story pretty consistently. Um, but they can do big things because nobody really cares what happens on, you know, in space, like the Shi'ar Empire, right? If there's a new a new emperor of the Shi'ar, who cares, right? Nobody's going to complain about that. That sounds good to me. I'm going to check that out. So next week, we have a lot of books coming up. We do have the Omega issue of the whole Judgment Day event. I'm sure we'll have lots to say about that. And we also have Sabretooth and the Exiles, number one. We visited that whole... Sabretooth side of the universe, which could be fun. Yeah, I'm very we interested have in that. Le- Evil Mutants. We have finally. Legion of X number seven. We have Wolverine number 27, you know, continuing this uh, this B storyline right away. And we also have Marauders number eight. So one of those, yeah, it's, it's going to be the Omega issue of Judgment Day, of course. It's going to be the big X book of the week. And then some of the others we'll talk about, and maybe some of them we will pretend don't exist. But if you want to find out which ones those are, be sure to tune in next time. We will see you. Bye-bye. Adios.